home base is doing today is what I believe all of us should be doing because it means a lot in so many different ways to uh, express our love and care. It's not the bullets or the guns that wins war, but it's the people like yourselves out there, mother and father, brothers and sisters, leaders of this nation, even the children, all of us together should be a home base for protecting what we all cherish today, our freedom and our liberty, as well as the peace that we all enjoy here in this great country of ours. Hello, everyone. This is season six of Homebase Nation. I'm Ron Hirschberg, one of the physicians at Homebase and your host of this show. On the podcast today, we are thrilled and honored to share a live conversation that took place on July 23rd at the Homebase Center of Excellence in the Charlestown Navy Yard with World War II Marine veteran and Navajo code talker Peter McDonald. This interview followed the 14th annual Run to Homebase at Fenway Park where we honored the special operator community. And along with Red Sox Nation that night in a pregame ceremony, Sox fans, along with many Mets fans at their side, gave a standing ovation to Mr. McDonald as he and his family got a taste of the Fenway spirit, honoring a legend right there in the historical park. So this is our 91st episode of the show that began on Veterans Day 2019. Thank you all so much for sticking with us and sharing the show with others as we continue to grow not just an audience, but the awareness for the ongoing care needs for the Invisible Wounds of War. Our mission of this podcast has been simple, to share with you great conversation and to tell stories that resonate with both military and civilian folks. These stories and conversations reflect the key mission of Home Base, resilience and recovery in the face of mental health and invisible wounds that affect not only veterans and service members, but their families. Peter McDonald was born in 1928 in Arizona in the Navajo Nation and joined the U.S. Marine Corps in 1943. So if you do the math, he was 15 years old, but as you'll hear, he was not only just as strong in body and mind as his older peers, he was going to find a way to serve. Two years prior to Peter's enlisting, the U.S. had entered World War II following Pearl Harbor, and it was clear that the way towards any victory in the Pacific was to be on top of all communications. An Army engineer who had served in France in World War I, named Philip Johnson, suggested to the Marine Corps Commandant to utilize Navajo language 
that he had learned while growing up with kids in Navajo Nation in order to create a specific code that the enemy could not break. So the Marines initially recruited 29 Navajo young men to San Diego in April 1942 for boot camp. They were brought to a top secret area and simply given two things, pencils and tablets. The commanders would then give their marching orders. They'd say, before you go and fight, create a military code. No one knows you're here. So fast forward to 1982, and President Ronald Reagan proclaimed the first U.S. Navajo Code Talkers Day. And on this day, August 14th, we celebrate all Navajo Marine veterans who made it all possible, the only military code in modern history to never have been broken. So today in Window Rock, Arizona, the capital of Navajo Nation, there will be parades, exhibitions, dancing, and presentations to honor the more than 400 Navajo Code Talkers during World War II. Peter McDonald will be there with his family and honored. And currently, Mr. McDonald is one of the three code talkers who remain with us. Peter McDonald sums it up at the end of our conversation when he tells us all, likewise to the Navajo Unbroken Code, I pray what Homebase is doing and the love we all have for this great country of ours will never be broken. So here is our conversation with World War II Marine veteran and Navajo code talker, Peter McDonald. Hi, Mr. McDonald. Good to see you again. Good morning, <laughs> yes. Wonderful to be in the first city of the United States of America, Boston. That's right. Right across the street, we got the USS Constitution. Wow. Yeah. And your office right near it. This is such an honor to have you here with us. At home base, as you know, we see veterans and military families from all over the country and world now. And to have you here to show that support and talk about service, talk about mental health, and that word we talked about several months ago that I'll never forget, hojo. Hojo, yes. Connecting body, mind, and spirit and balance. On Saturday, we had the 14th annual Run to Home Base at Fenway Park. And it was incredible to see you there, right to the right of the pitcher's mound. And I know I saw you eyeing that ball, thinking about pitching it yourself, but we had to have somebody else uh, pitch for you. No problem. Yeah. It was a Marine that was doing that. It was a Marine? Good. Okay. (laughs) I thought of something there at Fenway Park, the oldest park, I believe. I'm getting the nod from from the general. In 1912, and I thought about you as a young boy and what drove you to service. And I also thought that there's probably something more than the uniform that brought you to service as well. And I thought maybe you could reflect on that with us today. Well, first of all, you know, during the war, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, all of us, Native Americans and all Americans, no matter what nationality they belong to, all come together to preserve what we believe is our country. Over 500 Native Americans, every tribe made the contribution by letting their young men and women go into military or defense plants to uh, make sure that we preserve that freedom, liberty, and peace that we all enjoy here in America. The only country in the entire world especially blessed by the Great Spirit. And that's why 
I know what you mean about all of us coming together, yeah. making it possible to keep that liberty, freedom, and peace that we all enjoy here in America. When you signed up, it was a few years ago, I wonder if you could reflect on what that meant to you when you started going into Marine training, when you went to San Diego. I joined the United States Marine Corps at age 15. And uh, I look at my grandkids and my own kids and when they're 15, and I said, did I, <laughs> did I really join the United States Marine Corps at that age? <laughs> yes, I did. And how this happened is very strange. A cousin of mine, who is at least three years older than I am, we all live in the same area. And back in those days, we were pretty much self-sufficient. We didn't need the federal government. We didn't need tribal government. We didn't need any government. We had a lot of livestock, hundreds of cattle, horses, thousands of sheep. We have farm. We didn't need anybody. We didn't need any law. We didn't know had no policemen, no jails, no judge, no courts, nothing, because everyone behaved according to what we were told growing up. You shouldn't do this. This is what everything means to you, the trees, the birds, the four-legged ones. Everything has a place for us to enjoy. So we were all happy. Of course, December 7, a bomb was dropped on Pearl Harbor, and our country now has been attacked. And every member of the American Indian tribe, over 500 of us tribes, joined to defend this land, our Mother Earth. And the Mother Earth means so much to, to us, like a, a mother to a young child. It takes care of us. It feeds us. It prolongs our life. And we also learn everything, our belief, things that we cherish most, our prayers, our songs, everything comes from Mother Earth. So we respect it very much. And when we learn that our land is in danger. Everyone responded, and uh, many of us joined the United States military. A cousin of mine who is at least three years older than I was, one day came home wearing that beautiful blue Marine Corps uniform. Of course, I didn't know there was a Marine Corps uniform, but I, when he came home, I saw him in that uh, uniform, and I said, Tom, how do I get one of those <laughs> nice clothes you're wearing? Mm. I thought maybe he purchased it somewhere. <laughs> but he says, uh, you have to join the United States Marine Corps to get one of these. And I said, I want to do that. <laughs> of course, he looks at me and says, how old are you? I say, I'm 15. He says, oh, I can't do that. you got to be at least 17. I said, they don't know. I said, but... If you can join the United States Marine Corps, uh, I can too because I can shoot birds, prairie dogs, rabbits, just as well as you can. Also, I can run 
just as fast as you can, you know, two or three times, I beat you running. <laughs> you know that. So I could do anything you could do, and if you can join the United States Marine Corps, I can too, at age 15. Well, it says, that's the law. Got to be 17 in order to join. So if you're going to join, you got to tell me you're 17 years old. Well, before he went back to his unit from his furlough, we went to Farmington, New Mexico, Marine Corps recruiting office, and there I asked a recruiter to join Marine. He looks at me and asks, how old are you? I said, I'm 17. <laughs> and uh, he said, where's your birth certificate? I said, I don't have one. My mother said, when well, we're moving our livestock from winter camp to summer camp, right through the, that journey, she got into labor. So we had to stop, and they laid down a goat skin, and she said, you fell out on that goat skin. And that's how you're born, right through our movement. Two days later, they pack up again and end up at our summer camp. So I said, I have no birth certificate. I was born out in the boondogs. Well, I said, well, somebody has to vouch for you. Mm. I said, here's my cousin, <laughs> Tom. He said, he knows. So they made him sign a piece of paper that said I was 17 years old. That's how I joined the United States Marine Corps. So Tom knew you pretty well. He, he knew that you were both going to be uh, serving together. Y yes, well... The sad part of the whole story is, which I cannot forget, mm. is that on his third landing was Peleliu, September 15, 8.30 in the morning, 1st Marine Division. Usually there's about 80 Navajo code talkers assigned to each division. His group was with the 1st uh, Marine Division. And every landing, they always had at least a dozen Navajo code talkers to land with the first wave, the first ones to hit the beach. There's a reason for that. We didn't know, but we understood what they wanted. They gave us a map of the landing area to be memorized. It has grid lines. So they tell us, when you hit the beach, run like hell, hit the deck, and see where these enemy fires are coming from, the gun location. Look at your map, send that location back to the command ship in Navajo code. And then, of course, command ship also has about half a dozen code talkers in that battleship, the command ship. And uh, they receive all Navajo messages. They write it down. Navy sends us runner to stand behind us. We hand it to them. They take it to the general or the admiral. They read it. They respond. What they want us to report back with the first wave is where the enemy gun positions are. If you send that position in English code, they brick just like that, and they move that gun position. So by the time you get battleship marine air wind to knock off that particular gun position, they move. So, using Navajo code to identify where these gun positions are, they don't know if they're being targeted. So, it gives us time to order either 
a battleship, a cruiser, or a marine airwind to knock out that gun position. Right. That's part of the reason. The other reason is the troop movements. We want to keep that confidential. Also, the enemy are not only gun position, but how much ammunition we have. What we learn, all we have is what we have in our belt and in our rifle. That doesn't last very long. So the ammunition ship comes about the second or the third wave, and they dump more ammunition on the beach for us. Sometimes they get blown up, mm. so you're sitting there with no, no ammunition. It's just what you got. You don't want the enemy to know that you, you don't have ammunition. So all of that kind of information goes back to the command ship in Navajo Code, and uh, it's bringing it another shipload of uh, ammunition. If you've never tried to meditate or you're looking for more in the world of meditation, we have some great new content to announce. In collaboration with the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine at Mass General Hospital, our home-based team has created more than 30 mindfulness, meditation journeys, and relaxation exercises and we invite you to select any or all from our list on our new webpage, homebase.org slash meditations. All content is free. It's provided with and without ambient sounds, and it's for both adults and kids. So find a comfortable, quiet place and join us. I wonder, Mr. McDonald, uh, if we could talk about that code a little bit. Yes. Now that it's after 1968, we could talk more freely. I did a little homework, and the code coming from the islands in English translated to Navajo code and then back to English. I wondered if we could give an example on how that works. There was an island, Tarawa. I'm not going to do justice in the Navajo, but I thought maybe you can help me with this. Okay. So I know that each letter, A, B, C, had a, a certain Navajo word that would correspond to that letter. But you also needed to have different Navajo words for the same letter as to not have anyone break the code. And I, and I should mention, if people may not know this, but it's the only code in military history to never have been broken. The island of Tarawa has T-A-R-A-W-A. Now in English, that's turkey, ant, rabbit, back to ant, weasel, and ant. Now, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about how that works with Navajo code. Well, the code that we develop, not even in Navajo would understand what in the world we're talking about. Right. Number one, Navajo is not a written language, so we had to create code words for each letters of the English alphabet, which only we know. Navajos out on the reservation don't know that because there's we don't we don't have a written language, so no one knows what the code word is for, or even a word for letter A. So we created it, and they told us also that enemy has many different ways of breaking codes. One of them is repetition. There are quite a few English words that have two A's or two C's or even maybe three S's. So that means they use repetition to break code. So that means we have to have at least three code words for each letters of the English 
alphabet memorized. So in that Tarawa, the word Tarawa has three A's in it. The code word for letter T is Tanji, Turkey. The word for A is uh, Belasana. A Belasana in Navajo means uh, uh, apple. Then the R is uh, Ga. Ga, Navajo means rabbit. So when you hear rabbit coming through the air, you don't think about it. You don't write down rabbit. You write down the letter R. R. Then the next word in that Tarawan is another A. You don't say Belasana, which is apple. You say it at that point, Tsenet. Tsenet in Navajo means X, something you chop wood with. So, but it's still an A. Then you, T-R-A-W. Well, the was cheat, that's a weasel. That's a code word for the letter A. Then you come with another A. Uh, that would be, you don't say Belasana or Tsenet, you say Wulachi uh, in Navajo means ant, A-N-T. So it, all the three letters in A, of A in that word have different words. So the enemy don't realize that these are the same letters. And the enemy certainly won't know that Someone's trying to explain Tarawa or any place or time. Well, thank you for going through those, that example with us. Uh, the Marine at uh, Iwo Jima, Major Howard Connor, said that the Marines would never have succeeded without the Navajo. That's powerful. It is, and they tell it. Well, three Marines division landed on Iwo Jima, as I said before. Each Marine Division is assigned 80 Navajo code talkers to provide all communications that is top secret and confidential. And uh, we handle all those messages. So these 80 in each division, third, fourth, and fifth. So you're talking about over 200 Navajo code talkers participating on Iwo Jima landing to communicate all top secret confidential messages. And they tell us that each division, at least on average, were sending at least uh, 800 messages for the first 48 hours of the landing. 800 times three is over 2,000 Navajo coded messages sent in the first 48 hours. If you do little math, that means Navajo code going through the air every minute, nonstop for 48 hours. Quite Amazing. busy operation. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably why Major Connor said, without Navajo, Marines would never have taken the island of Iwo Jima. You know, you talk about the magnitude of those messages and I'm thinking about that for those 48 hours and the concentration, the memory, the focus that someone had to have as a Navajo code talker during that time is extraordinary. Yes, you signed up and many of your brothers and Tom, I was sorry to hear about Tom. The memory 
that someone needs to have. I mean, I wonder if we could talk about that, how that connects to our brains and mental health. Tell me a little bit about what that was like and uh, thinking about that stress people were under. Growing up Navajo, this is every member of Navajo back in 1800, early 1900. I was born in 1928. That whole system was still very much in place. The system is that every child, Navajo child, every Hokan, every home across the nation have a story that is being told about where we came from, the four worlds that we come through, the first, second, third, fourth world, the present world we're in, and what we experience. From the time you're at least four years old, you're being told a short story about where we came from, mm. how we were created, and what it means, how certain things were created. And as you get older, the story becomes longer and longer and longer. By the time you're 12 years old, you are now being told a story that's at least two or three days long. Huh. songs that goes with it, the prayers that goes with it, what the mountain means, what it represents, eastern mountain, the southern mountain, the western mountains and northern mountains, what they represent, what they produce that's good for us and how we can harvest things that, they, that grow in these mountains. Everybody learns that. Also, there are songs that goes with each mountain, we learn those songs. We don't have a book. Everything we learn is here, and we're tested. Mm. When they tell us a story, they tell us to, to uh, repeat that story in the same order, using the same word. You don't add words to it because this song, this prayer is sacred. It has to go in the same order, the same word. You don't make up your own words. You don't leave out one or two. It's got to be the same. So we keep memorizing all of that, and they test us as we get older. By the time you're 12 years old, you, you have a lot of memory about where you came from, what the Eastern Mountain represent, what can be harvested there, what songs, what prayers that goes with that song, with that mountain, rather, mm. southern mountain, western, and northern. So we had a, a very, very good memory yeah. being tested that way. Today, it's a lot different. I asked my grandkids, hey, what's the capital of the state of New Mexico? <laughs> well, let me give me time to go to they get their phone, and they Google it, and they tell me what that is. They don't memorize things anymore. The phone is their memory. So if it was today, I don't think we could have created a code <laughs> that was never broken by an enemy. And, and not only that, but you've got to remember those code words, no matter where you are. You may be down in a foxhole with machine gun bullets, flying five or ten inches over your head, motor shells roughing everywhere, you still have to send that code and receive that code. No pressure, right? 
Right. <laughs> Can I ask you, sir, when you reflect on our soldiers, our men and women who are overseas and have returned and the stress that they can endure and then transitioning back home. What are your, some of your thoughts about that transition back to home and how we can take care of ourselves? Well, again, those kinds of things are in our stories. There have been battles in their creation. And uh, we had twin warriors that went to visit their the son to get the power they need, all memorized, came back to earth and used that weapon that was given to them to uh, clean up all the bad things that was uh, cropping up. It's something that we uh, understand. If you go into a battle of any kind of battle, no matter what it is, there are songs and prayers that you participate in to save your memory, forget things that badly that happened to you, restore your entire body from the tip of your toes to the top of your head so that you no longer are now being affected by the evil things that you have went through, the battle that you went through, the blood you have seen, the dead bodies you have seen, all of that bad memory can be taken away out of your system and back into a harmonious uh, journey as you were intended by the Great Spirit. So we have songs, we have ceremonies, we have one called Nda, which is uh, a, a three-day ceremony that if you go into war in the battle, whether it was a battle against a, a different enemy or whatever, you come home, you don't just come on in because you're contaminated, and you're contaminated, so you stop maybe half a mile from home, and there the medicine man says a prayer and administers a certain pollen on, on your body. Then you can come in back into your home. And then you, you don't stay that way. They arrange a ceremony, a three-day ceremony, to restore your good body, good mind, and get rid of all the bad stuff that you went through. Mm. That's it. Uh, a nudge, that's what the Navajo called the enemy way ceremony. And then, of course, you don't do it just once, at least four times. Then you forget about it, you don't dream about it anymore, you're back to being normal. That's There's a system what, of four. Yes, that's what most Navajo veterans have gone through there. Because huh. some of them came home, and it affects them terribly. Mm. So they eventually have this ceremony. You've known some brothers and sisters that have gone to war and come back, and a half mile away went through the, the process with the medicine man. And you've known them after, after that process. And you've seen changes, I would assume. Absolutely. Mm. 
I had ceremony myself mm. when I came home because I believe it and it, it does help. Thank you for telling us that. I'm thinking about the word harmonious that you just mentioned and, and back to Hojo, yes. my, favorite, my favorite concept. At home base, this facility, our center, we think about, as General Hammond, our executive director, talks about body, mind, and soul and keeping that rhythm, making sure that you can, in all ways, help yourself as a veteran and your family through not just thinking about the brain, not just thinking about the body, but what's your purpose and what, what resonates with your soul. But there's another part too, when I think about Hojo, is the universe and earth and that balance. And maybe as we close, we can hear you reflect on that a little bit as we think about how we connect to, uh, we all connect to each other and to the earth and this whole, whole planet that, we, that is that's very uh, uh, precious to us all. Well, after this in me way ceremony, mm. that before you come back in, they perform that for you, that it gets rid of it. But then you have another ceremony, mm -hmm. that's the beauty way, harmonious, you get back in harmony with your people, with your land, with your environment. That represents a beauty way. It's, a, it's something that it gives you a, a good vision and a good a good understanding of who you are and what you are here for. Mm. So that's a harmonious way of living on this earth. And that ceremony is still in existence today. And it doesn't, you don't have to be in war to have that ceremony. If you have some bad experience somehow, mm. if you want to get back and harmonious, journey with all the good things. You have Hojjanja ceremony, the beauty way ceremony. Every young lady, when they become of age, around 12 or 13 years old, every one of them have Hojjanja ceremony uh -huh. to be blessed in the most beautiful way for the rest of their life. And most everybody who wants to be blessed with, with all the blessings she's going to receive, come to her ceremony and participate, take the corn pollen and get the cake that they make for her. Everybody have a piece of that cake. Mm -hmm. Now that makes you strong. They want you to face the, the, the world with good thoughts, good things coming to you. I remember it. Being a small kid, we get up in the morning with those, I face the dawn, and uh, the songs that comes from that medicine man singing, all of us singing with him, saying, every bit of rays, ray that comes from the dawn, that brings forth all good things, the best thing in the world for human beings, for the world, for everything. Every bit of it, every pollen of that <laughs> has now come onto my hand. It's in my hands now. And not only in my hand, but it has got into my 
blood vessels and it comes into my body. It's over my body now. I have all of it. I have nothing to fear. I have every good reason to live a good life today and the rest of my life. That's the kind of prayer that we used to say every morning, mm. and especially during the time when this young lady is going through puberty ceremony. Huh. That's a song of prayers of strength and community, and it, it really is beautiful. And I think we can all relate with that, seeing how we, you know, what makes us all lucky to, to be here. And it's partly, or a lot, thanks to people like you that have served that make this country the way it is and uh, allow us to have that freedom. And we want to thank you for all of your service. I know that as a Navajo chairman four times, Navajo Nation chairman, someone who's a Marine veteran and such a family man that has his amazing family here, including your grandkids. I wonder if you could offer some thoughts to that, that young generation. I tell my kids, my grandkids, and Navajo young people, that the best way to face life is three things. Number one, to uh, understand that the earth the world isn't all what we think it is. Therefore, you need to understand. You've got to have knowledge. Get good knowledge. Navajo word for that is ntsinikens. Think. Get knowledge. That means get understanding of how things were created, how they work, how it must be used, how to look at things, how to respect things. Knowledge. Get knowledge. The second thing they tell us, which I remember and I tell that to my kids too, is to be wise. That means be wise, be smart. Why? Because you've got to know the difference between what is good and what is bad. You've got to know what's not good for you. You know what is good for you, what's good for the world and what's not good for the world. Third thing is to be strong, not only strong muscles, but have a, a strong mind, because there's a lot of things you're going to face in this world that you're going to have to rise up to it and defend yourself or defend your family, defend your country. Be strong, not just mentally, but physically as well, to be strong, not only physically, but spiritually, mm. you gotta have a prayer in your heart. You gotta know the songs, you gotta know the prayer that's gonna keep you going, no matter what kind of a situation you face. Those are the three things mm. that I tell young people, my grandchildren, my children. That's what I think our young people need to know. I'm not only gonna text my kids that, I'm going to I'm going to call them after this and we're going to we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, ask them what is the capital of Navajo Nation. Yeah, right. But I want to say this yeah. though that home base mm. is doing today is what I believe all of us should be doing because it means a lot in so many different ways to uh, express our love and care. It's not the bullets or the guns that wins war, but it's the people like yourselves out there 
mother and father, brothers and sisters, everybody, leaders of this nation, even the children, all of us together should be a home base for protecting what we all cherish today, our freedom and our liberty, as well as the peace that we all enjoy here in this great country of ours. And I certainly believe very strongly that every 500 member tribes in the United States know this because this is our home. Mm. This is our land for thousands of years. And we don't want anyone else to destroy the freedom, the liberty, and the peace that we have been blessed with. So it doesn't take guns and all the modern equipment that we are designing to maintain peace. It takes people like yourselves out there. Of course, those who volunteer, put their lives on the line to help preserve what we cherish so much in this country. And I know that you folks, home base people, are spreading that word. Navajo code, they tell us, is the only military code never broken by an enemy in modern history. Likewise, I pray that what home base is doing, the love we all have for this great country of ours, will never be broken. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you to our honorable guest, Marine veteran and code talker, Peter McDonald, for visiting home base and for this live, unforgettable conversation. Thank you so much for teaching us about service and sacrifice and, of course, those three guiding principles you offer the next generations. Knowledge, wisdom, and strength. We are so grateful to you and your family for visiting us in Boston, and we hope and look forward to returning that visit in Arizona soon. Many thanks to Hope and Charity McDonald and your families for making this visit possible. And on the home base front, thanks so much to the great team, including Army veteran Felicia Pinckney, Aaron Dwyer, Air Force veteran Marcus Dinettdale, Dr. Lewis Chow, Steve Monaco, Army veteran Kelly Field, Marine veteran Derek Goodwin, Justin Scheinert, Phoebe Garver, with leadership support, our COO, Mike Allard, and Executive Director, Brigadier General Jack Hammond. Thank you, as always, to Chuck Clough for editing and production on this episode, and David Schmitz at Waves Media for live video recording and production. You can find the full-length video of this conversation on our Homebase YouTube channel. I'm Ron Hirschberg, and thanks to everyone for listening for all your support of the mission to serve veterans and military families. Don't has
Oh, my